Well, welcome to the 3ND Podcast. Uh, my name is Sean Coleman, and uh, I'm joined by my regular co-host, Justin Lewis. And tonight, we're going to go a little bit of a different route uh, with the 3D Podcast. Um, we're not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and say Chandler. Justin Lewis is just going to say Parsons, and we're just going to do that for 45 minutes. Do you feel that is an appropriate tribute after last night, Justin? Get out of here. He scored 11 points. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> well, it, let's put it this way: um, it's a lot better to talk about than uh, for the Grizzlies to talk about the Grizzlies today after us holding on to the victory than it being another game where we saw a big lead slip away. I, I'll be honest with you: I, people may like him, people may think he's polarizing. I don't care. You may not like the way that he plays the game, but seeing James Harden score 57 points, it's a work of art. It, it, it was unbelievable to see him play last night, but the Grizzlies held on. They were able to take on all Harden could give them, and they were able to pull out the victory. What are two big things that you took away from last night's 126-125 uh, uh, thrilling victory, Justin? That James Harden pushes off every other possession and doesn't get an offensive foul call on it. Um, so I, that did aggravate me seeing that. But I guess two big takeaways uh, would be that Mike Conley is at the peak of his career right now, um, and 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 given the right matchups, Jonas Valanciunas is an absolute animal. That we would be stupid to not do what it took to keep him in Memphis. Oh, completely agree. I mean, you, you've got jo- Jonas Valanciunas and Mike Conley, who the Grizzlies have been going along so well offensively, and a big reason for that was due to outside shooting. They were they really had a triple option um, when it came to the offense. They had the go-to all-around score in Conley. They had the down-low presence in Valanciunas, and they had the outside shooting in Bradley and Miles. Well, now, unfortunately, both Miles and Bradley are out. Uh, Miles for the season, as was reported yesterday. Bradley, it could be a season in the injury. I think the Grizzlies will try to get him back as they race to convey. But you're now down a big cog, of a big reason why your offense has done so well. And Valanciunas and Conley just took over. I believe a combined 68, 70 points last night. Um, and, and at the end of the game, uh, Jonas was was just absolutely, like you said, a beast. Um Obviously, though, another big story of the night, besides the uh, night out on the town that uh, uh, Johnny Menzel and Chandler Parsons had, was Chandler Parsons being in there at the end of the game and making the shot that he made. 27 points over the last two games, 10 of 19 shooting, and five threes. With Miles and Bradley out, Justin, do we now have to rely on Parsons as being a relevant part of the rotation to, to make up for their shooting? I would rather rely on Tyler Dorsey. Um, Parsons, yeah, he's had a good good two-game run, um, but he still has no arc on his shot. It's still flat as can be. I think he's still a an above-average playmaker on the floor, but he couldn't he couldn't guard the uh, those guys in the rib costumes at the Grizzlies game that are out there <laughs> running around. He just he, he doesn't have it in him to play defense. Uh, so I think I'd rather see Carl Dorsey get the minutes and get an opportunity than I would Chandler Parsons. 
And that's a fair point. You know, I I definitely can think, I mean, at this point, you know, as we've discussed before, you know, as great as the Grizzlies offense have been, you know, what real difference does it make if at times, you know, what they're doing on offense is just washed away by the defense? And it's just clear. Chandler Parsons does does not have the legs anymore to be able to move on defense. It, it's nothing against Parsons, but that quick twitch that you need to be in your knees, he, he just doesn't have an inning. And it's clear because of the surgeries that he's had. Um, But it was nice to see. It was a nice moment. I I don't think that there were a lot of people who thought we would get this many nice moments coming through um, the end of the season after the trade deadline. And, you know, now um, we're 9 and 10 since the trade deadline, nearly two months, um, uh, or excuse me, nearly six weeks uh, since we've uh, um, had the new roster in place. Um, With Miles and Bradley, both out at least for a few games. Besides Conley and Valanciunas, Parsons and his shooting, obviously, you can't really rely on. Who's got to be that third piece to step up, Justin? Oh, gosh. Um, I I think you've got to see uh, a collective effort between – I think we need probably 12 to 14 from Noah. I think we need uh, we need Justin Holiday to, to find his stroke again. Um, Bruno needs to be able to pitch in eight to ten here and there. Uh, I think just the rest of the guys. I don't think there's going to be a third guy that steps up. Everybody else is going to kind of carry their weight. Um, and maybe if there's a night where we see a guy like a, a Wright or a, a Bruno or a Holiday that they're they got it rolling, then we can use them as a third option. But I just don't think there's a guy on the team that's capable of stepping up and doing that. No, I agree with you. You know, when you had the three options going on offense, where you had Bradley and Miles on the outside, Conley handling the load as the main scorer, and um, uh, the um, and Valentinus down low, one thing that was working was that you weren't asking too much of anybody besides Conley. You were just asking each player to do what came naturally to them. You were asking each player to do the job that, that they were best at um, on offense. Well, now you're going to have to find someone who can go above and beyond. And that's hard to do. I don't think Caboclo is the answer. I think he can shoot outside, but he's going there for his length and his defense. Yeah, Holiday can, can perform on the outside, but do you really want him shooting 12 to 15 times a game? And then with DeLone Wright, we could become a dribble drive offense with him and Conley, but you still don't have that outside shooting. So I do agree with you. We're, we're, we're basically going to have to have someone step up each night or it's going to have to be a heroic effort by Valanciunas and Conley um, going forward. So, Justin, um, looking ahead at the schedule, you know, we moved past Houston. Before the Houston game, we lost two big games to the, um, to the Hawks and to the Wizards. So, Basically, we kind of washed away the positive vibes that had come from the upset victories over the Jazz and the Trailblazers. We got one of those losses back with the win over the Rockets. Now we have the uh, Magic coming up tomorrow before another hard part of the schedule. You're going to be there live. What are you kind of looking for tomorrow um, as the Grizzlies head into Orlando? Yeah, is this not just typical Grizzlies basketball? We, we beat the Jazz and the Rockets in this stretch that we talked about. Um, when really, when you look at the schedule, that's probably the two that you expect us to lose. 
and then we lose the two that we would expect to win. And it's just it's so backwards and doesn't make any sense. Um, I think Orlando is uh, going to be a problem uh, tomorrow night. It's a it's a road game. It's a team that's fighting for a playoff spot. So this game matters for Orlando. They're looking at Memphis as they shouldn't have lost in Memphis to us last week and that they shouldn't lose at home to Memphis. Um, so I think it is going to be uh, a very, very competitive game. Uh, we are going to be hurting with our depth, obviously. Um, we won't have uh, some of the younger guys, I don't believe, because I, I think the Hulk will have a playoff game tomorrow night in South Haven. So we don't know who's going to get pulled up to go to Orlando and who's going to stay down to help the, the playoff because it's, it's one and done in the D League. Um, so I'm looking for um, a very close victory. I don't think we're going to ever have a chance to run away with it. And um, I'm, I'm not uh, liking our chances too well going up against a team that's fighting for their playoff life on, on their home floor. When we played the Magic, I believe it was 11 days ago, it was back on March 10th, so 10, 11 days ago, um, we won 105-97. to 97. But the thing about it is is that Avery Bradley and C.J. Miles combined for 34 points that night um, and, uh, and basically were a big reason why we won. Avery Bradley, it seemed like every time that the Magic were about to pull forward, he would be able to get open for, for a big three or a, you know a, a long-distance two uh, to really keep that offense honest. And you're right. We, we don't have that now. I think if we have a clear advantage, it probably is on the inside game. When uh, Vucevic is, is off the court, um, I think that, um, you know, uh, Valanciunas didn't have a great game last time against the Magic. And if Valanciunas or Conley struggle tomorrow night, I don't like the Grizzlies' chances at all. As a matter of fact, I think it becomes very unlikely that we lose. I agree with you. I'm not that big of a fan of the fact that we're going to have low depth. I'm not that big of a fan of the fact that we're playing another team that, that has more reason even to compete than we do. And our lack of depth and the fact that we've lost, again, that cog of our offense that was doing so well for us, it puts pressure on Conley and Valanciunas, and teams know that. And if so if they can take away Valanciunas, it makes it um, hard, hard to work out. So, so looking past the schedule, looking, you know, again at this whole conveying conversation, Justin, me and you had talked before the show, and now with Bradley and Miles out, there's a little bit of uncertainty about the confidence people had in conveying. But it now has become that uncertainty goes past the whole idea of conveying. What are you, is there anything that you're certain about when it comes to the rest of this year for the Grizzlies, has from a week ago, are you as certain that we're going to convey um, as you were back coming off our wins against the Trailblazers and the Jazz? We keep giving up uh, 30 points a game. There's no chance that we convey uh, the, the lack of depth. I don't like. Uh, some of the stretches we have as far as, like, who we play. I think it's going to be tough, but there are teams that are giving us a chance. Like Parker's uh, Fleming's article talked about looking um, at teams like New Orleans and uh, the Lakers and then the Pitt. The Timberwolves just punted their season. They they just shut down three players because they're, they're done. Um, so there may be other teams that go forward to help us. 
Um, but it's going to be hard for us to help ourselves in the convey race right now. And when you look at our schedule going forward, you know, we do have the Magic, we do have the Timberwolves. Those are two clear games that that, that would really be, we at least have to go one and one. If we go 0 and 2, I pretty much get back to the point I made uh, a, a few uh, weeks ago where I said I felt we had a better chance of getting Zion than conveying. But if we go 1-1, one 2-0, one, oh, it certainly would help because after Orlando and Minnesota, you've got the Thunder in Memphis, you've got Golden State in Memphis, and then we're on the road at Phoenix, at Los Angeles, and at Portland. So after the Magic Timberwolves um, games, then we've got four out of five games against current Western playoff um, uh, teams. And so, and then we'll we'll end up, you know, against two against the Mavericks, one against the Pistons and the Warriors. So it's kind of half and half games that we should win versus games that we should not. So these are two big games coming up. So again, it's certain what the Grizzlies need to do in order to convey. But that brings me to the other point um, when it comes to okay, we do what we do this season. But you brought up a very good point in some conversations about, okay, even if we do convey, if we convey or we don't convey, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding the Grizzlies right now. Can you kind of talk about that and kind of how it fits in the Grizzlies' history? You know, have we really ran into a time in history where there's been this much uncertainty surrounding the franchise? Yeah, so I I was just sitting around um, thinking about the team and and the draft coming up and the convey conversation and, and it just kind of hit me. I've never, especially with the Grizzlies, but I don't know if I've ever seen a team in in that I've at least rooted for maybe, but in, in any of the sports that has so much uncertainty as to what direction the franchise is going to go in the next season, and this is what I mean by that. There has been no denial by the front office or anybody uh, involved with the potential move makers that Conley is going to be on the trading block um, this offseason. Nobody has denied that. Um, there's been no word on our side of things, the front office side of things, that we want to bring back Valanciunas, that we want to bring back C.J. Miles, that we're going to make an effort to re-sign De'Lon Wright in his restricted free agency. Um, we've heard that CJ likes playing in Memphis. We've heard that Jonas Mike has been looking for a house in Memphis. Um, and so, like, we, we think that they'll be back. There's been no word at all that any of these guys outside of Kyle Anderson and Jaron Jackson Jr. will be back on the scene next season. And so we, the only thing we know about certain is that this team is going to build around Jaron Jackson Jr. because it doesn't take – um, a genius to figure that out. Somebody that's just now watching the NBA for the first time can look at this team and say, all right, they're going to build around that guy. Outside of that, what is our roster going to look like next year? What's our goal? What's our aim? Where are we headed? And then, like like you said, and I'll let you talk about this part, is it because we don't know who's going to be making those calls next year and it's just all silence because of that? I, you know, I don't know. And it's a very good and 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 an intelligent question to ask I, I i i i i think that it's a great point that you bring up you you haven't 
heard just a clear voice from the Grizzlies organization or any clear indication um, of who will be back from the roster. And that's why I make the point about, you know, if you're not hearing any word about decisions that obviously are going to be made about decisions that are looming, it's probably because you don't, that the, the franchise itself really at this point doesn't know who's going to be making these decisions. And it's not really a debate about should you keep the hierarchy that you have or should you go a new direction. I think it's pretty clear that there are going to be some type of changes that are going to occur in the Grizzlies front office. In my opinion, it's do you change from how you have made changes in the past, and I'm speaking directly to Robert Para. In the past, Robert Para has shown a tendency to stick with what he's comfortable with. No matter what level of experience or what history that they have in the front office, if they, if Robert Para feels comfortable with the person, that's who he's going to stick with. That's the only reason Chris Wallace has stayed in as long as he has, despite the obvious flaws that probably should have uh, made the Grizzlies get rid of him in the past. Um, I know that we've brought in Tayshaun Prince. I know that we have Chris Makris. But are you going to stick with the parties that you already have in place, those that you're familiar with? Or are you going to let the ideal, are you going to let the um, excitement um, and, and, and the potential that's there to build around a player of Jaron Jackson Jr.'s um, ceiling, are you going to let that attract an outside source? And in my opinion, you need to go with the outside source. Robert Para gets flack for not being around that often. But in my opinion, it's not necessarily that it's not that he's not around. It's the fact that when he is around, he comes in and just kind of does things fly by the seat of his pants. He does more to harm than help, in my opinion. I think if Para is going to keep his distance, and if that's his preference, that's fine. I think if he's going to keep his distance, he needs to get one solid smart decision maker with a solid track record of making decisions in the NBA and just let that guy do it. Kind of look at it as kind of look at it as hiring a portfolio manager for your investment. If this if the Grizzlies are an investment for Para, get a guy who knows what he's doing to run it since you don't seem to have an urgency to run it and obviously, you know, just because you're not a basketball guru, Para himself probably isn't the best person to run it himself. That's kind of what I get from it. Do you think the Grizzlies should stick with what they have in place, you know, with the Makris or Prince? Or do you think they should go outside for their next decision maker, Justin? Uh, well, first, I don't think Perry has used the Grizzlies as an investment. I think he's used them as a toy that he plays with and then forgets about and leaves them to the side and then comes back every once in a while to play with it and realizes that he doesn't really like that toy that much, but he's not going to get rid of it. Um I think, though, as far as our front office goes, um, we have such a bad habit of, of hiring from within or trying to make some trendy hire. Like, I think Hollinger was an attempt at a trendy hire, or, a, or I don't, I don't know the, the the thought process behind that because it's clearly not worked. Um, I, I don't know enough about Tayshawn Prince's. Um, you know, front office knowledge, uh, how much of the decisions he's been a part of, um, how he evaluates players. Um, 
to, to just hand it over to him. Uh, I'd like to see him stick around. But anybody that's under the tutelage of Chris Wallace, I don't think I want him anywhere near our franchise. I think I'd rather clean house completely and throw whatever money you have to after the best guy available out there and build a team around that guy. And like you said, just let him be the portfolio manager um, and, and let him take care of it from there. And I think some franchises that you could look at, you you could probably look um, at, um, you know, the, the, the Raptors franchise. You could probably look um, at the um, um, Thunder franchise Thunder. and you could, yeah, yeah. You, you could you could look at the Hawks franchise as well. Heck, if you want to sit there and hire a guy who's a decision maker with the Raptors and that they want to stick with Stackhouse, give him a chance, I'm not necessarily against that. But I just want to see some decisiveness. I really want to see the Grizzlies go after. But I want Tara and whoever makes the decisions for who comes in and makes the basketball decisions, I want whoever is hiring that guy to have a clear focus of what they're looking for. In my opinion, that's a guy who can identify talent in the draft because that's how you're going to build in a small market that's not a premium destination for free agents like Memphis. The one thing that has killed the Grizzlies franchise and has put us in the place where we are now is the fact that we have not been able to attract talent here through the draft because of a lack of scouting, a lack of recognizing talent. The only reason we got Darren Jackson Jr. is because we drafted at the top of the draft in a pretty top-heavy draft. That's the reason why we got Darren Jackson Jr., despite Chris Wallace saying how wonderful he was at making the pick. We need to go and get the type of decision-makers that are able to find a John Collins and a Kevin Huter and put them with the Trey Young to form a nucleus around this team. That's what the Grizzlies need to do when it comes to focusing on how to get the decision makers to find the talent within Memphis. Beyond that, there also comes to the fact of actually getting the talent itself to come to Memphis. Justin, Joe Molinax wrote an article about maybe how the next two years would look in Memphis. And I know that you have wrote an article before. I know Parker Fleming has wrote an article before. Y'all have mentioned some names, some realistic names that you could see Memphis going after if we were able to offer them top dollar. Who could you see outside the organization right now as young players who need to be extended soon that the Grizzlies could be attracted at going after to get them to come to pair with Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah, so um, here's here's the thing that fans aren't going to like and a lot of them probably won't agree with. You're going to have to throw max money at a guy that other teams aren't going to throw max money at because you've got to get them more incentive to come to you than, than these other maybe more attractive markets will. So with that being the premise and that being said, there's a couple guys that I think because of the situation of their team, the Grizzlies can force the hand of those teams to to not match a restricted free agent contract, like we kind of did with Kyle Anderson. We kind of put San Antonio in a in a position that they had to make a choice, um, and and they chose Bertans over Anderson, um, and you know whatever you know floats their boat. So the first guy that I like that we could really force their hand on is um, Jalen Brown. And not this summer, but next, he will be a, a restricted free agent. And um, 
Boston's going to have so many fat contracts, they're not going to be able to match. Uh, Marcus Smart will still be on the books. They're going to have to uh, think about extending Jason Tatum. They're not going to let him go. Unless this offseason they trade for Anthony Davis and they've got him and Kyrie's contract on there. And then you still got Gordon Hayward's contract sitting out there. Um, they're just not going to be able to afford to choose one of them. And, and nobody's world is like Dennis Brown over Jason So I think Brown's one guy that would be like, if we, you know, we get off Chandler's money and create space. The other guy, uh, two guys are on the same team. I think we can do that with are Jamal Murray and for Denver. They've got uh, Nikolai on a big contract. Gary Harris is on a pretty big contract. Um, they're not going to be able to choose both Beasley and um, Murray. Obviously, they're probably going to choose Murray, um, and we would want Murray too. Uh, but I, I think the, the smart thing to do would be to throw max contract at, at these three guys and force the other team to make a choice. And if it doesn't work out and they find some way to keep them, that's that's fine. But I think that those are three targets that we've got to, to go after right away. So that brings up an interesting point that I want to talk with you about kind of as we uh, uh, kind of as our uh, ending uh, discussion today on on the 3 and D podcast. And, you know, uh, the, the core four podcast is uh, um, one that uh, we, we co-hosted um, in place of Parker Fleming and um, uh, Nathan Chester uh, last week while they were on spring break. And they have come up with a um, new concept um, in which they will um, uh, answer a question from a listener and they'll get a hot take from a um, a member of GBB. So I I threw out uh, my hot take. And, And what it was was this. My focus was, was that, if you convey, if you convey, obviously, or excuse me, if you do not convey, obviously next year, um, the idea is is that you will want to compete. Because if you don't convey this year, that means that you're going to have to stay outside the top six next year for your pick to go to Boston. And you certainly want that to happen so you don't go into 2021 with a, without a first-round pick no matter what. So the idea that I had um, was potentially looking at trading Conley and our first pick next or or our 2019 first rounder, if we have it, in the same deal. And my thought process behind that is this. Before we get to that, the idea of trading Conley and the first round pick. Obviously, I think that it matters. You know, if we're in the first three picks, don't do it. But if we get in that five, six, seven, eight position, I think it becomes an idea. I think there is logic in potentially combining the first round pick with Conley to trade. Justin, what are your initial thoughts on that? Do you do you do you just not like that idea at all, or do you think that it's something that could potentially be worth looking into? Oh man, that's um, I don't think I like it because if the goal is to convey the next year, meaning we've got to win games, I don't think we're getting a piece back that's going to help us win games more than Mike Conley will. And that's a very good point. And, and that's why there's the, 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 
for the idea to make sense to put Conley and the draft pick from 2019 together in a draft where you're probably not going to have as much talent. So your pick in the five, six, seven range is probably not going to be as good of a player as it would be the next two years. My thought process is this, is that it only makes sense to do this if you can get a young player back plus extra pieces. And my idea is to target those very players who you may go after in the 2020 free agency. So when you think of teams that need Mike Conley, you can make a case for the Jazz. This scenario of trading the first rounder and Conley doesn't work for the Jazz. They just don't have a young player that it makes sense for. But you could see the Jazz going for it. You could see um, the Pacers. You could see the Celtics. You could see the Nuggets even though they do have Murray who can play point guard and uh, and they have a few other guys that can handle the point, I think Conley can make sense for the Nuggets. Do you see any other teams that make sense for Conley in the summer, Justin? Uh, Phoenix. Phoenix Phoenix is in desperate need of a – yeah, they need a point guard. If they don't get John Moran in the draft, they could use Conley, and Conley could be that piece that puts them in the bottom half of that playoff picture. But I don't know if that's something that that they would want to do. I like the Boston idea. Uh, if, if they lose Kyrie, obviously. Um, the Magic really need a point guard. They don't have one. Um, and it depends on what happens in Charlotte, if, if what Kimba does in the offseason. Uh, I think that's all I can think of. So the idea that I have is, is that I completely agree with the understanding that, you know, in 2020, you can throw max money at a um, – uh, you know, Jalen Brown, Jamal Murray, um, Malik Beasley, another name, a guy that I love, a guy that has been at the top of my list to pair in the front court with um, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Demonis Sabonis. I feel that if the Grizzlies were to take Mike Conley and a lower uh, end of the top eight first round pick, a pick that's in the six, seven, eight range, take those two pieces and trade them to the Celtics, trade them to the Pacers, trade them to the Lakers, trade them to the Nuggets. You take Conley, who's only your, who the other team's only on the hook for for two years, plus that first-round pick, and you can get a young player that can play with you that you would have the rights to in Memphis for a year and then extend him, plus maybe another pick or two in the future. I think at that point, it's a limited way of going but it may be a creative way to take a chance to really get a young secondary, if not elite, very above average talent to Memphis long-term. That's my whole idea. Instead of throwing max money or taking the chance to where other teams can throw max money at a guy in 2020, get the rights to this guy a year early, plus other assets, Trade off Conley, trade off the first rounder in the weaker draft of the next three drafts. You can still compete next year because you've got a good talent around Jaron. Plus now you've built for the future by bringing in an already established talent and other picks. Do you think that makes some sense? I may be completely off target here, but that that's kind of my thought process. So I'll look at it by, by, by team. Boston is the one I'm most intrigued with. If, you, if you're telling me you're going to send me Jalen Brown, um, but you've got to send me somebody other than that, too. Um, uh, Agreed. Send, send me Jalen Brown and another pick, or send me Jalen Brown and another player. 
then then we can talk. Indiana, I, I'm less interested in. Sabonis I, I, is a is a hoss. He's a beast. I get that. I don't I don't necessarily know if I if I want him. Uh, I guess that depends on what we do with Valanciunas. Uh, but if you're gonna if you're gonna send Conley there for that, you better be sending me Aaron Holiday back. Um, and then in L.A., Parker mentioned this one on the on the core four. Uh, I like the idea of sending Mike and our first round pick for their first round pick, Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart. Um, that gives you two backcourt guys for long term uh, that are defensive guys. Um, who knows how Ball Ball can develop. Uh, but you, you run out of lineups with Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Colin Anderson, Darren Jackson, and uh, Valanciunas. A lot of defense being played right there. Uh, so there's a limited amount of packages where I'm like, okay, we can talk about it. Uh, but if, our, if we don't convey this year, I think Conley might be our best option for us to win next year. And I agree with that. So, like I say, this 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 has a limited, um, it, it it has a limited level of sense. It only works in certain situations, and I think that's what Parker and Nathan were getting at on the Core Four podcast. Their whole point was, you know, don't just trade them for like a Jalen Brown or a Sabonis, but if you can get that type of young talent back that you can potentially extend after the nineteen twenty season, plus get a second young player back like an Aaron Holiday. Um, or, or another draft pick, or, you know, potentially a Josh Hart if we were to get Lonzo Ball. Those type of things, I think it does make sense doing. And that was the reason why I thought it would be a, a way to look at would be because you still can compete next year, plus you're really setting yourself up. You're giving yourself a much higher floor for the future. But you also bring up a very good point in that you have to compete next year if you don't convey this year. That That makes perfect sense. But all in all, when I look at, like, for instance, you know, we watched the tournament today, and I watched John Morant play for Murray State. I'm not saying we're going to get him. It's very unlikely we do. But that type of backcourt court guy that you can utilize or wing that you can utilize, the Grizzlies are going to have to find that some way, shape, or form. And besides Sabonis, I think that we mentioned some guys who could fit that role I just think you're going to have to get creative, like my idea of combining Conley and the pick, in order to get that done. So that's the reason why I was thinking about it. Call it a hot take, call it creativity. I just think that type of outside-the-box thinking may be a way to truly get a talent here that you could pair with Jaron to become a threat um, in the West. Speaking of the tournament, Justin, how's your bracket looking so far? First game wasn't good for me. I didn't have – I've got like four brackets in four different groups, and uh, I didn't have Minnesota winning in any of them. And then Belmont let me down. I had them going. Um, and then, you know, GBV's group, I had two – you know, we all had two brackets in. Well, one of them I had uh, Northeastern and New Mexico State winning, and both of them lost. Um, I did call Murray State, which I, if you didn't – if you didn't call Murray State or Marquette, you haven't been watching John Moran play all year. Um, I, how did the um, what's the last game going right now? It's a close one. Villanova and uh, Villanova wound up beating St. Mary's. That hurt me. So my bracket's not doing good. I picked St. Mary's to go to the Sweet Sixteen. That was a fair pick. I, I and and I'm very interested in that um, due to the fact that you know Villanova could be a Sweet Sixteen matchup for my Vols. 
Um, obviously, if they get past Purdue, I was I picked Villanova actually to go to the Sweet 16, um, of course, losing to the balls. But tomorrow is the big game for us, I believe. I don't I don't think Ole Miss is playing tonight, are they? No, they play Oklahoma tomorrow, correct? We we play at uh, 12 for the second game of the day tomorrow. Okay, so you've got Ole Miss and Oklahoma. Obviously, we'll be paying attention to the Virginia game. And then my balls play um, uh, tomorrow against um, – um, the, the um, against Colgate, and uh, hopefully it'll be a breath of fresh air for the Vols when they when they dominate a game. Ha, Dad Joe, come full of them. But um, no, oh, um, it, it, <laughs> as far as any tournament games so far that have kind of stuck out to you, um, the tournament this year, do you feel at the end of it, it's probably going to be mostly chalk? Or when you were filling out your brackets, is there a Cinderella team out there that did interest you that you really did think, okay, this could be a team that could go a long way? I have Wofford in the Elite Eight. And it is more of a product of the draw that they got. That's uh, more than necessarily they how good they are. But they, if you look at their stats, they are a good team. And I think they've won like 20-something straight games right now. Um so, Wofford's a uh, Cinderella-type team. I think the uh, the regional that Tennessee and Ole Miss are in is honestly a crapshoot. Um, the matchups in that are for anybody can come out of that region, I think. I think Ole Miss could come out of that region because we would be a problem for Virginia. Um, we would be a problem for um, – I believe that Wisconsin and Oregon are in our region as well. Yes. Yeah, so we'd be a problem matchup-wise for them because they're all kind of slowing down defensive teams where we like to push the pace and run. Um, and so I, I think a, a, a sleeper can come out of our region, although I've got Tennessee coming out. Um, but I think Wofford's my team that I'm, I'm watching and rooting for to be the, the Cinderella because that means they knocked out North Carolina and Kentucky if they make it that far. And I truly do also think that Oregon could be a team that that could go a long way, especially if they can. I think that Wisconsin, um, um, the the Wisconsin Oregon winner could be a surprise surprise matchup for the Virginia team. Um, I think Ole Miss does match up against Virginia because having seen Ole Miss play against Tennessee, their guards are a problem. Like I don't necessarily know if if uh, Ole Miss is as big as Virginia on the outside. I think they're about equal size, but they have a good dribble drive, good shooting game um, combo for Ole Miss, and I think that they could give Virginia a game. With Tennessee, it, it's going to come down to you know that they've got to make sure that they don't give any good looks to Colgate. Um, they've got to make sure if they do get past Colgate, Cincinnati is a very well played team, a Cumberland from the uh, American Conference. Um, is someone that a winning player of the year that, that can really, you know, be a headache for teams. And then if we get past Cincinnati, you've then got Purdue and Villanova. And that's just two good teams that play well with each other, just like well to their strengths like Tennessee does. So I agree with you. With both of our teams being in the same region, we probably have a little bit more focus on that. But all in all, it really seems like it's Duke versus the field. I think you can make a case for three to four teams out of each region besides the region with Duke. And so at the end of the day, it's going to be exciting to watch. But I do think also in a year where there's less overall talent for the draft, I do think that there are some players who could really make themselves some money as 
names that could show up in the in the teens or in the twenties of the first round. You know, besides John Morant really solidifying his draft status, are there names out there, Justin? Maybe two names who you think could make a case for themselves to be clear first rounders when right now, before the tournament started, their status as a prospect was kind of in question. Um, I would say, you know, nobody really knows what Luke May can be in the NBA. Um, if he if he would have a, a Tyler Hansbrough-type career in the NBA where he's just not much of anything. Um, so I, I think he has a chance to – I think he'll get picked up in the second round. Maybe he can find a situation late in the first round for him, for him to go in. Um, I think uh, the kid for – I think Wilder was his name at Belmont. The dude yes. dropped 30-something points. He averaged a double-double. Um, I think that's a dude that kind of has flown under the radar, uh, like a Kevin Herter did, and I think he can find himself in the back end uh, of the first round as well. I do think that it, Kobe White is someone who could really solidify himself as a top-10 pick. Uh, they're, 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 even today, they're, they're, for the first time, I saw White was projected to the Grizzlies at six. I forget what what draft uh, uh, mock draft it was, but he's someone that could um, really show up. I think what you are going to see is that you're going to see um, Zion establish himself as number one. That's a given. And you're going to see Morant establish himself as a number two. But now you, you've got Jared Culver. You've got um, Hunter um, from Virginia. They're prospects that kind of have established themselves. But now you're going to start seeing these guys who people may have questions about, like a Cam Reddish, a, you know, a Kobe White. Guys like that step up. Nasir Little could really help himself out. You know, if he were to have a big game or two in the tournament, you can see these names that you know that there are questions about really add some depth to, you know, answering those questions to really help out their draft. So it's not really, you know, deepening the draft like you would see in most years. It's more trying to solidify the top part of it, which, again, just lends itself to show how weak this overall draft is. Justin, as yeah, we think, wrap up, I, go ahead. I, I think uh, three guys from our two teams have a chance to really make a uh, better name for themselves this weekend, and that's Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, and Terrence Davis. Um, I think all three of those guys are guys that can make it in the NBA. Um, but I think they're, they might be playing for uh, higher money this weekend as well. I'm seeing a lot of Grant Williams beginning to get into the top 15 of the draft discussion and things like that. I am a fan of Grant. I've seen Boris Diaw comps. I've seen P.J. Tucker comps. I think I like the Boris Diaw comps, that guy that's very smart that you probably could put in the middle of the uh, – of the offense at the top of the key or right at the foul line, and who not only could get shots off but could make good passes. I think that he's a very good rotation guy. And don't forget for Tennessee, I, I while I do think Schofield and Grant Williams have NBA careers and they're the names, I actually think Jordan Bowden and Jordan Bone both have higher NBA ceilings than Schofield and Williams, and they could really make a name for themselves, especially if Tennessee has a late run. So a lot to talk about next week, obviously. We'll, we'll uh, follow up with, with our tournament takes. Um, we'll discuss the Grizzlies games, and we'll really get into what to look forward as the final few weeks of the season um, wrap up. Justin, do you have anything else to add uh, before we sign off uh, for this edition of the 3 d Podcast? Yeah, let me throw a couple things out there. Uh, 
if you're if you're in the Memphis area Friday night, go support the hustle in the playoffs. Uh, pack pack the Landry Center down at South Haven. Um, if you're not, hop on Twitter with me tomorrow night. I will be in Orlando uh, covering the game for Grizzly Bear Blues. Um, so that that'll be some fun that we can have on Twitter doing that. And also, Sean, you're gonna love this. Most of our cohorts at GBB are not. Next Thursday is Braves opening day, so everybody needs to get ready for that. We will probably be having a baseball segment during this season. Both Mr. Lewis and I are huge Braves fans. So in Cardinals country, you know, I don't apologize. I know congratulations on the Goldsmith extension for all you Cardinals fans today. But this is going to be a Braves-centric podcast, and we'll have a few segments. So if that costs us any listeners, you know, we'll find a way to keep you around <laughs> some way, shape, or form. But, yes, do want to give Justin a shout-out tomorrow. He's giving great coverage before besides the articles that he writes on Twitter. Definitely follow him for the game. Also, shout-out to Brand, to a couple of other people, Brandon Abraham, who covers the hustle. He's done a great job all year. Please continue to follow him. Follow him at BC Abraham on Twitter for all the hustle playoff news and happenings. And also to site manager Joe Molinax. Uh, he really has gotten um, some good things going with Grizzly Bear Blues. Obviously with the move to the SB Nation uh, podcast network, he was able to have Avery Bradley on this week. Uh, should be the first of many great episodes. So really do follow Grizzly Bear Blues Live as well as the Core 4 podcast and Locked on Grizzlies. That's the thing about social media. It's a great time to be a sports fan because every single day you have multiple ways of being able to follow your favorite team and get different takes on all the happenings that are going on. We're glad to be a part of it. For Justin Lewis, my name is Sean Coleman. We appreciate so much you joining us. Go Grizzlies and have a great weekend. Hope your brackets don't get too busted. Have a great one. See you next week.